what was going on behind the scenes spiritually I was thinking wow I was at the back and I was hearing this song I've never heard this song before and as I came in as Deaconess Rita said that hearing something and being in it there's vast difference as soon as I came in and heard the song and saw there was just a, a, a tingling anointing came over and I thought whoa and when I heard what the words were saying I asked Brother Todd whether Sister Eru knew what my topic was and he said she didn't and I said okay and I moved to Sister Eru I said before I go on I want you to sing this song and whilst Deaconess Rita was here she apparently had already written down that before I come up here Sister Eru would sing this song so I was just saying wow okay and it's such a lovely song because it's a song that the words beseech, I beseech you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable for God which is your reasonable service has been the thing that has just been bubbling over because of the theme because of what I hope to share so again it's just saying wow okay God let me take a step back and you can step forward and whatever you want to say let it be said but I was thinking that sometimes uh, I, I hear we have great orators and great teachers and one teacher in Ghana we still haven't forgotten you and sometimes I have to be the person that says come you must eat your greens in other words it's a message that may not be jumping up and down hallelujah or may not be a message but it's there to nourish you and to make you to get to heaven I want to get to heaven let, let no doubt about it I want to get to heaven and whatever it costs I will have to pay the price because I want to get to heaven and I'll say it again because people said why you say job it is my job my job is to ensure as many of the people that are under me also make it to heaven so I make no doubts or no apologies for encouraging you and boosting you and if I see error in myself or in others to also make sure that those errors are done and dealt with so it won't be a hindrance ah praise God you see the title my full title because I had to write it down sometimes I write these uh, I say it and I even forget it is stop building altars that will destroy you I say it again stop building altars that will destroy you and I'm using I'm going to use uh, this is supposed to be a one-off message it might leak into 
next week, next, next week is um, first Sunday, so I, I would imagine that if it is, it's going to be small. But my, I like this, this is, I can just look at this, this is good work. <laughs> the artwork is just, I don't know if this is online, but uh, you know, this is worthy of taking a moment. <laughs> I'm just looking what he's done, this is amazing. This is uh, Brother uh, uh, Todd. Uh, pray yes, give him the yes. This is this. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly speechless. This is good stuff, especially when I only told him Thursday. So praise God. So the topic is: stop building altars that will destroy you. Now, altars have become in vogue in in the Christendom a, a, a language. And what is an altar? An altar is a place where you offer up praises and worship, but it doesn't have to be the only true living God. You can have altars that we erect in our lives that we offer up, which is in competition with God. Now, of course, it's gone silent because it's not going to be a hallelujah type of uh, topic. But I am conscious of it because I, I am conscious and try to be conscious when I start to have altars in my life that may be in competition with God. So what is an altar? What can be an altar? An altar can be, uh, can be your job, can be your children, which means that anything that comes before God can be something that becomes a place of worship and a place that comes before God. So anything that is taking the place of God, where once upon a time, because we're going to use Solomon as an example, that once upon a time, God had your whole heart, but because maybe God's blessed us, maybe our job, maybe uh, once upon a time, we only dreamed of where God has now placed us. And we're now in the place that we dreamed. And we're saying, wow, thank you, God. But now we're saying, I, I'd love to come to church. And it's not because they're calling you up. But you're saying, I'd love to come to church. But I want to spend some time on, on perhaps prepping for something that uh, will happen on a Monday. So I'd love to come to church. But... Lord, you know how it is. This job is very demanding and I want to be good at it. So I'm taking the time which I would normally do to worship you in prepping for a meeting on Monday. And I'm going to give you an example uh, using Solomon. So we're going to use Solomon and we're using, uh, we'll start at 1 Kings 3. Solomon, obviously, not obviously, not everybody knows, so we're just starting where we are. Solomon is, was the son of David. And David is the, was and is or was the, the gold standard of all kings. When God compared one king with another, he would say he was like the uh, King David. Or he wasn't like King David. So King David... They all made mistakes, but God still said of David, because his heart was always for God, even when he made mistakes. And he said of David, a man after my 
own heart. So he may have made mistakes, but God saw his heart. God dealt with him, but he was still a man after God's own heart. Now, we start in at First uh, Kings 3 because uh, a lot of things happen. And First uh, uh, Kings 3 is when, in effect, Solomon becomes established. And it says of, it says of uh, Solomon, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and all the walls surrounding Jerusalem. Now, that may not be significant, but that was the mistake that eventually destroyed him. It's one little line. You think, well, he, so he married an Egyptian. So what? But that was, the, that was the first brick in his, in his altar that eventually more or less destroyed him. Okay, so we move on. Verse 3, this is the, this is the thing that scares me. Because this is what it says of Solomon. It says, verse 3, it says, And Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statues of his father David, except that he sacrificed on burnt incense and burnt incense at the high places. Now the king uh, went to Gibeon, Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask, what shall I give you? So, the thing I want to emphasize that Solomon loved God. That's the point. Solomon loved God. And he gave sacrifices and he, so much so that in uh, chapter 3, Verses, verses 5, God comes to him in a dream and says, What shall I give you? Now, if God came to us in a dream and gave us more as a blank check, what shall I give you? I wonder how many people will say, Hmm, God, yeah, right. I want to be rich. I want to be so rich that... Branson comes to me for a loan. Or, Lord, I want, I want authority. I want that the, the people of the world comes to me and say, Master Eric. <laughs> or, some will say, mm, I've been waiting for this. That brother, that sister. That harmed me. Or that bank that refused my loan. This is my chance. Or, God, you said that in the Bible that 120 years in Moses' day was normal. I want to double it. I want 240 years. 
to live. Okay? But we all know that what Solomon actually asked, he asked for understanding. It says, therefore, give me your servant. This is verse 9. Therefore, give me your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people? And verse 10, God more or less says, or verse 11 says, Then God said to him, Because you, you have asked this thing, and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have you asked for, nor have you asked for yourself uh, riches, or, nor have you uh, asked life of your enemies, but have asked, your, asked, your, asked, your, asked for yourself understanding of discernment. It says, Behold... Uh, I have done according to what uh, your words, and then he goes on to say, I will give you the things that you haven't asked for. Excuse me. His riches, uh, long life, etc., etc. Excuse me. Now, speeding on, one of the things about reading someone's life, you don't have to go blow by blow. You can actually jump at the end and see what happened. So, the first test is in First uh, Kings 4 when the famous uh, judgment when two prostitutes are in a home by themselves. Both become pregnant within days of each other. One prostitute, or one woman I should say, uh, lays on her baby in the middle of the night and then transfers her dead baby to the other woman and takes the live baby. And then in the morning... The, the, the true mother looks at the dead baby and says, this isn't mine, and recognizes that the other woman has her baby. So they come to the king to say, king, we need this sorted out. Now, anybody will know this is a difficult decision. How is he going to know? He wasn't there. He can't, there's no DNA test. There's none of this modern stuff. So he says, as again, you know the story, he says, bring, bring a sword and cut the, put the baby in half. And the real mother says, oh, no, 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 no. Give the baby to the other woman. And the other woman says, no, 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 no. Cut the baby in half so it's neither mine or hers. And from that, Solomon could say, give the baby to the real mother whose heart is yearning for her. And that wisdom spread throughout the whole of Jerusalem to say we have a judge that has the mind of God. And his wisdom spread so far that he says of uh, Solomon, or oh, we know he, he, he wrote three books of the Bible. He's, his Proverbs was, in fact, the Bible says he was wiser than the, the, the wisdom of the East he was the wisest person on that earth. In terms of riches, he, he treated silver like dust. There was so much of it. He was at the pinnacle of, of the, the, the borders of Israel, touched Euphrates, up to, I mean, he, Euphrates, Egypt, it was the, the height of the Israel borders. But Solomon had a weakness, 
and let us turn to 1 Kings 11. So 1 Kings 11, if you get there before, this is what its, its opener is this. So it took, it took Solomon basically 20 years to build both the temple and his palace. But verse, chapter 11, verse 1 says this. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh women of the Moabites, Monomites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Now, the Bible says, uh, Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4. Let's see if I can find it quick enough or can someone put it up on the board. I'll roughly say what it says. But if you can find um, Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4. It says more or less that, but okay, let me see if I can. Ah, good. Uh, At three, thou shalt not, that's right. For they shall turn the sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Can you do five? Just remind me what five. But thus you you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillows, cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. And just do number six, if I can remember what number six says. For you are a holy people of the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. Amen. Praise God. Okay, thanks for that. Yeah, okay, yes, all right, all right. Now, the point is this. When Solomon, because you have to ask this this question. At the beginning of chapter 3, it says Solomon loved God, and he did love God. But by chapter 11, when we're talking about 20, 30 years, Solomon's heart was turned, and I asked the question, didn't Solomon know about Deuteronomy 7, verse 3, 4, and 5, and 6? And the answer is yes. So the question is, did Solomon think that in his wisdom, because one thing that I haven't pointed out, which which we'll come to, Solomon had 700 wives. 300 concubines, right? Now, I worked it out that if he took a day off for Sabbath, he would be visiting three different women per day for 365 days. How on earth he had time to run the country, I do not know. 
So what I'm saying is, this is not love, this is lust. And lust has no satisfaction. 700 wives. I would have thought 700 wives is enough for anybody. But he then wanted 300 concubines. So that's a thousand women. What I'm saying is that what has happened is that the spirit, the spirit that he allowed in when he thought just having the Egyptian woman, because his, his reasoning was he was making an alliance with the Egyptian. So he then thought, this is even before his wisdom, he clearly thought that by uh, marrying all these different women was making a peaceful alliance. Not knowing that he was building an altar, an alternative altar, in which he was offering up lust before, or even his pride, or his wisdom. So in other words, he was, it was the wisdom from God versus the wisdom of God. In other words, God may give you wisdom, but it doesn't supersede God's wisdom. If God says no, he means no. It doesn't, ma it doesn't matter what intellectual reasoning that you may decide you're going to do it anyway. The consequences are always the same. You build an altar onto a foreign God. That will eventually be the way God will punish you. Let me just introduce something, just, to, just in case, uh, I don't want to make it sound as if this is just an intellectual exercise. I have said, when it comes to heaven, there will be many people, books will be open unto them. I have said, when it comes to me, he would require a library. I have done so many mistakes, so many things. Uh, if there was a spiritual back, you would see the lashes that uh, I have learned through the hard way. So I've learned, where possible, learn from other people's mistakes so that you don't have to do it. So let me just give you an example. I hope uh, uh, what I'm sharing, Joe will forgive me. <laughs> I'm saying in advance, publicly. So if I get into trouble, I, you know why. Okay, I'll give an example. Um, and this will help the young, young adults who are feeling, how long? How long do I have to wait, etc. So I, uh, I, I reached the point where I was saying, God, how long? So I says, I actually said in my heart, okay, I'll do it my way. So I was working. I, I just come down from Birmingham. Uh, uh, I was working. I said, right, I'll do it my way. So I, there was two work colleagues who were volunteering, and I was working, and they, would, they regarded me as coming out of the sticks, not knowing anything. So, so one of the things we used to do is have a meal after. We'd laugh, etc., etc. So there was two of them, and it was laugh, it was fun, etc. And then 
uh, for some reason, one dropped out. Maybe I can't remember what it was. So it's just me and this other uh, woman. And I knew enough Bible to say, it says, do not sit uh, uh, across, the, across the table uh, with another woman, lest, this is King James, I'm King James person, lest her eyes entice you. I knew that. That's a scripture I knew in my head. And I knew it. So when it was one-on-one, -on -one, that scripture was there. And I was going, ah, it doesn't matter. Big bad Eric. I've got, I've got this, yeah. No problem. I've got the scripture in my head. And, you know, nothing's going to happen. Easy, yeah, that's right. No problem. Me and Solomon, hey. We know so much, eh? So anyway, <laughs> we started, and it's fun, fun, fun. And what does the Bible say? Do not sit across the room lest, not a, it's a strange woman's eyes entice you. So it did happen. So I started going out with her. No problem with that, except that she was a Jehovah's Witness. Right? So I, well, I know that this can't go anywhere. To cut a very long story short, we, 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 we finish, but we finish with friends, as friends. You know, I have, you know. But then uh, she started, we, we, we used to work together. So she started going out with someone else. And every time the phone rang and, and it was him, I had to give the phone to her. And it was like taking a long dagger, sticking it in my heart, turning it a little bit more, and then push it in a little bit deeper every time he phoned. I go, it's, it's for you. Blood pouring out <laughs> back and forwards. There was a price. There was a price. When you know God's word and you go against it. I learned a long time ago, there was this preacher and he said, you cannot compromise God's word and win. So if you know God says A and you're doing B or Z, it doesn't matter how successful or how well things are working at this time. At the end, you will pay a price because the word of God does not change because we want it to or it's a modern approach to whatever. What God says is for amen and forever. And it is true. And in, I love the phrase because I heard it even in uh, uh, Kenya and someone said it. I immediately thought of Pastor Delhi. God knows the beginning from the end. And there's no compromise. So, the situation with the situation with Solomon was that he started building each and every wife. He built an altar. He built altars to the abomination of the Sidonines and the Malachites. Those who burnt their burnt those who offered their children in fire. He offered. He served. Every one of these gods. How is it? Because the word of God knows the power of a woman. He invented them. He knows their purpose. 
And if God says, do not marry a foreign woman, less, again King James, less they turn your heart and worship other gods. He knows what he's talking about. Don't think like me and Solomon, we got it covered. Because you haven't. God's word is always true. So, the, the, why it frightens me is to say that Solomon loved God. Let, no, no. I mean, God appeared to so- Solomon twice. The first time was this occasion. The second time after he'd built the temple. And he dedicated the temple and said, God, um, whenever we go wrong, any time we make a mistake, we will pray to this temple. And Lord, we want you to hear the prayer of the people because we pray to this temple. And God appears to, uh, uh, appears to Solomon again in 1 Kings 9. And he says, I've heard what you say. And I agree. I will dedicate this place. Anybody prays to this temple, I will hear them. However, if you worship, if you do not obey me and worship other gods, I will not only remove this temple, I will remove Jerusalem and let the people, and people will say, why has God done this? And praise God. Well done. (laughs) Just in case you thought I was talking rubbish. It says, I will remove the temple and remove Jerusalem. And people will say, why has God done this? It says, because the people have turned away from me. Stop building altars that will eventually destroy you. I'm going to touch on. I'm going to touch on. Because perhaps it's useful if I just give you some examples of temples. And altars, sorry. Eli in 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 Eli in in First Samuel. His altar was his children. Both his children were priests, and they were behaving abominable. They were they were sleeping with the the women who offered up sacrifices. They were taking the sacrifices that the people came. They were taking their their part first. Normally it'd be boiled. They say, we don't want any boiled meat. We'll take it raw and fry it ourselves. Now, all this was known to the people and known to Eli. And what was Eli's response? He took them inside and said, more or less, you naughty children. You should not behave in this way. That was it. God was angry because he was saying, you are the priest of Israel. And you heard and heard what they were doing. Instead of removing them and disciplining them, you were just simply modicoling them. And because of that, God said, I will bring up somebody who will hear and do what I say. And I, who once upon a time said, your descendants will be always before me. They will be removed. I think it's fourth generation. And that's where Solomon, Solomon, Samuel came up. So if our children are doing something that is wrong and God expects us 
To love them, yes, but correct them. And if we don't do that, we are saying our children is our altar. Because we will not do what God want to, want, expects us to do because we love them so much. No, you're killing them. Because you're setting up your children for destruction. Another example of building an altar is Samuel. And let's keep saying Samuel. Samson. And maybe I'll leave this probably because everyone kind of knows the um, life of Samson. But let me just say this. Samson had a destiny. His parents had no children, mother barren. An angel came to them and said that you will have a son. The, the, the Lord has heard the cry of Israel because of the oppression of the Philistines. You will have a son. And this son will be a Nazarite from his birth. So the angel told uh, Manoah's wife that from birth she should not eat anything from the vine. She should not eat anything unclean because the son that she will have will be a Nazarite from, the, from his birth. And he, will, and he should never cut his hair as a symbol. So eventually... Samson was born, obviously of a maritable age. And just to give you a punchline of Samson's life is that he knew he was a Nazarite. God, and I'm sure that his parents would have told him his destiny and told him the importance of his life. But he was casual. He didn't take what his parents and what God had said seriously. So the first time he's, uh, first thing, and uh, I'm still puzzling with this, he chooses a, a Philistine woman as his wife. And the, and the parent says, is there not anybody amongst the children of Israel that you could choose? And he says, give me, give me this woman. And it says, the Bible says, God was using this as an opportunity. That's something I, I, anyway. But that's what the Bible says, so let's just say what the Bible says. On the way, or on the way to and fro, a lion comes against him. And it says, the Spirit of God came, came upon him, and he tore the lion like, he, like they tore a goat. And people imagine that Samson looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger or someone, you know, just bulging with muscles. I don't think so because people think, ah, it's his muscles that's doing it. But I think that Samson probably looked reasonably ordinary. I mean, if he stood, I believe that if he stood next to um, Chude, he would look... <laughs> He would look scrawny, or if not scrawny, just ordinary. <laughs> but when the spirit came on Samson, there was some power that came upon him. That, you know, he, a lion would tore, roar it, and he'd rip it, and go, whoa, glory. Whoa, <laughs> that's right. 
So the next, the next time he passes that way, he sees the lion's carcass and there's a beehive in the lion's carcass. Now, a Nazarene is supposed to be holy, set apart, not supposed to touch dead, uh, dead, dead, dead things. He's, he's set apart. So what does he do? He walked down, sees the lion corpse, sees the bees, and goes into the carcass and gets a bit of the honey and takes the honey to his parents, not telling them where he had got it. Satan is watching our life and our lifestyle. It took Satan 20 years from that point to the point, because we all know the story, where he's blinded and walking around to destroy him. But he could see that this person does not take his role seriously. So he could say, okay, this is how we can get him. He's moved by his lust and he doesn't care. So I'm touching it, but I, I, we'll see how much I'm able to do next Sunday. So let's just, just end with this. Not here, I may add, but there are many people, and we've been taught this so we know, that people are moved by people's anointing and equate their anointing with their level of where they are in God. I always use Samson as an example. Samson, at one point, had just left a prostitute. There were people waiting to kill him. And as he left the prostitute, the city gates was before him. And he went to the city gates and just ripped them up, put them on his shoulder and carried them up the hill. Now anyone will say, Woo, the anointing of God is still on him. The anointing of God may be still on him, but he is backsliding. And what is happening is that we need to examine where are we? Are we backsliding? Are we back? Because it doesn't happen overnight. You have to say, Did, do I still enjoy worshipping God? Do I still like reading my Bible? Do I still like coming to church? Those who are online, why are you there? Is it because it's comfortable? Or is it because there is a good reason? The thing we have to fear is backsliding. Backsliding does not happen all in one go. It's a steady process of Satan or the world dulling our senses. And then we are able to build altars unto other gods and feel nothing of it. Stop building altars that will ultimately destroy us. And I'm just going to leave it there. It's not an exciting thing. But it's something I just want us to know that the thing that we need, and I'm talking to myself, that's why that scripture where it says, Paul is the, the big apostle Paul says this, I beseech you, I'm begging you. That's how serious it is. He's saying, I am begging you by the mercies of God 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Because the world is attacking us all manner of ways. And the only thermometer that we have is that, are we still on fire for God? Do we still have the passion that we used to have? If not, we are a bit like Samson, which is where we're becoming casual. Where we are now accepting things that we wouldn't accept before. I myself, I've been examining myself and I've been saying, whoa, I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like it. So that's why it says, when it says, Solomon loved God. I would say, I love God. But I don't want to be in a situation where I am allowing or I'm not, or, or I'm not doing things where I used to. But because of whatever thing I've allowed to get in taking God's place, I'm now saying that's okay. And I'm saying that's what Satan uses to start the backsliding. And the backsliding allows other things into our lives that we would not. If he just said, if he said to Solomon when he married the Egyptian woman, go and, go and worship uh, a, foreign, a foreign altar, he would say, <laughs> be mad. Are you mad? But after 700 women, and you notice his passion, it's, it's bad enough having seven, uh, sorry, it's bad enough marrying 700 women. And adding to that 300 con concubines. But it wasn't, his passion wasn't just the 700 women and 300. It was, he had a passion for foreign women. That was his, I mean, it's bad enough. But the downfall, his passion was for foreign women. So in other words, he would say, hmm. Boy, these Nigerian women, glory to God. Woo, glory. And there goes again, Ghanaian women. Woo, glory. I mean, he would, he would just be, as long as it's foreign. As long as it's foreign. The fact that uh, the Jews, he, uh, cousins, aunties, uh, you know, as long as it's foreign. But then... In old age, there's a phrase that says, there's nothing more foolish than an old fool. So now is a place where the women that he's now married are now demanding that he builds them altars, foreign altars unto, God, unto their gods. And he's saying, yes, love. He's now saying, oh, okay. You want me to build an altar that you can burn your children? Oh, that's fine. That's how far the great Solomon fell in his wisdom and in his knowledge. He thought that his wisdom could be smarter than even the devil. As I always remind myself, the devil managed to 
to fool two-thirds of the angels who saw God, who saw his glory, who was in his presence, and he managed to fool them to think that they could join with him in overturning the Lord of glory. If he can fool those, don't think that you are smarter than the devil. But if you do it the way God tells you to do it, you'll be more than conqueror. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.